last week, I literally, as I said in On the Fits, felt that there was a sermon hanging about there and I just gathered it in as the week went on. This week, if it's still out there, I haven't seen any of it or picked any of it up or put it all together. So I'm trying to um, take us in this three-week journey that we've been on, which uh, I had no intention of being for three weeks when we started it uh, two weeks ago. Uh, Colossians, that we tried to read there at the start, this part of chapter one, through the eyes of Brian Walsh and Sylvia Keysmat, looking at the empire that it was written into and trying to find an alternative imagining to the empire that oppresses us. And last week we looked at the empire of sectarianism, those images that have beaten down on us off gable walls or wherever else that have caused us to be a divided community and how we needed an alternative imagining to bring the kingdom in and subvert that empire. (coughs) On Tuesday this week, I decided, okay, just be alert to the images and the oppression of empire. Wednesday morning, I'm in having my asthma checkup. Final demand, really, to be quite honest. They send you a few letters and then they ring you and say, will you get in here? So there I was. New nurse, hadn't met her before. Chatting away, she finds out I'm the minister in Fitzroy. She takes that whatever way people take it when you're the minister of Fitzroy. And then she says to me, and I wondered if it was pastoral, she said, uh, didn't sleep hardly last night. And I'm going, oh, oh, oh. Um, what's going on here? So uh, I said, okay. Um, you go into, I said, so what was your problem? And she says, and I quote her, go compare, go compare. I can't get it out of my head, she says. <laughs> so when I moved off the serious to the real human again, I had a laugh at that. And then I thought, does that know what I'm talking about on Sunday? The images that bombard us so much that we actually have them creeping into our brains to the point where we're singing the very advertising through the night and not being able to sleep. Now, I'm presuming, my nurse, actually, that we're not all having that problem. Or we could have a top ten of what ad is it that keeps us awake all night? But there was something about the bombardment of that particular tune that got so under this woman's skin that it stopped her sleeping. The images around us that take, take us captive. There is, and we'll have, we'll have a bit of a laugh about this, there'll be an age range gap in it, but we'll have a bit of a laugh in it. There is a, I don't even know what we call this, a phenomenon that is happening in our time and in our city that if you haven't experienced, actually we've talked about this and we're thinking of taking us all down to go through this. I went through it with Natalie just before Christmas. In the Victoria Centre. There is a shop there, which is probably decorating, at least my children, Hollister. They just got one letter wrong. Hellister would be better, but they just didn't spell it quite right. 
Now, Hollister, I presume those who are laughing have experienced this. It seems to me if you sat down and you said, how will we not sell a product? You would put into motion what happens in Hollister. You queue to get in. Even when you get in, you realize it's not full. Queuing is part of the deal. Now, we have talked about this, and we are considering queuing outside here before you get into Sunday morning. <laughs> because there's obviously something about the queuing that adds to the whatever the phenomenon is. So you get in and it's dark. And there's music pumping. I can handle that. I'm used to it. But it's pretty dark. And they put the prices sort of grey on brown so as you have no chance of seeing what, what price is that. And usually you come out and you go, ah, wrong price and I need to go back in and change. I'm not going back into that queue. And when I talk to the cooler, you know, half my age people about this, they say that then the annoyance they have is, because they buy things in it, um, that you end up going up to the shop assistant who really isn't that interested in wrapping your thing. He's just interested in sort of being seen. And so it takes them 25 minutes to get that all into a bag for you because they're not really interested. But it's California, man. It's cool. Now, my question to it is, and it's, it's uh, don't get me started. You think I'm started? No, I'm not even started. But you kind of think to yourself, where in somebody's mind did that whole process happen that has become literally a cult way to shop, which means that our young folk need to have, need to have Hollister on them somewhere if they're going to be fully human. I sense that they believe that. Literally, I sense they believe that. And much as I smile at it, and much as I have a laugh at it, it's a symptom of a society where images take us captive and they become the very sense of our identity. So you're buying them a T-shirt and it doesn't fully say Hollister on it. And you're thinking, see, if I buy that for that price and take it home, maybe it needs to say Hollister. Maybe the Billy Garrett says Hollister. So you're under all kinds of dilemmas. When we were in uh, Cape Town, a number of years ago, when we were about to come home, I was saying to the team, what are you looking forward to getting home for? And then I said, what are you not looking forward to getting home for? And one of my students said, I'm not looking forward to the relentlessness. The relentlessness. Because for a few couple of weeks, they were away from the relentlessness of image maybe Hollister, maybe go compare. They'd lived in another kind of retreat-like environment. Not that the occasional night, day you were coming off the building site, there wouldn't be a three-floor um, makeup box that would open before they got to the restaurant. There were still some shades of the empire. But they had seen some sense, or this girl particularly had seen some sense of freedom from the relentlessness of these images that dominate and capture our imagination. And they can blunt our lives. Radiohead put it in their song, No Alarms and No Surprises. Such a pretty house, such a pretty garden, 
new alarms, no surprises, please. It blunts us to this point of sort of languishing in our comfort of getting. We have what we need and we'll just settle for the getting. The title of this particular sermon comes from a quote by Jack White from the White Stripes, the Raconteurs, the Dead Weatherman, some other. He's in a different band every week, it seems to me, like being in Fitzroy. But um, he's a pretty major player in the, the rock scene of the day, and he said this once, which I find a really an amazingly accurate uh, social commentary. It's pathetic. America especially has that attitude. I think, actually, we can put the West in there, not just of uh, Katrina to suffer with it. But uh, um, America especially has that attitude. Everyone thinks that they can have whatever they want. They attempt to try and get whatever they want. They're really spoiled and gluttonous. They always want more and bigger and better and all that jazz and the fastest and the newest toy. And it's not necessary. People don't want anyone to tell them that there's any sort of rules. They don't want, you can't do that, or you can only have this. Everyone wants to eat their dessert first. That's the world we live in. The images, the ads, the general, we're in a recession, but economic security that many of us live in has so blunted the edges of our lives that give us a pretty house and a pretty garden and no alarms and no surprises and yes, I'd like my dessert first. Give, get, 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 get. So we have an image-dominated culture. We have a consumerist-dominated culture. We have a social networking-dominated culture. And there's many good and bad things about that. It's about diets, it's about fitness, it's about eternal youth, and it's squeezing us into something that blands us out. Walter Brueggemann has said, the key pathology of our time, which seduces us all, is the reduction of the imagination so that we are too numbed, satiated, and co-opted to do some serious imaginative work. We've been so dulled down by the easiness of this seeming life we have. Where really, you can send a tax and get it back immediately. You can spend your life, you know, in Daravolgi, where some of you lived with me over time. It got to the point where you wouldn't walk up a floor to knock somebody's door when you could Facebook them from your bedroom. Because it's so easy. Don't bug us. I always thought of there in a sort of moving walkway from Daravolgi down to the university, they would feel better about that because it was about half a mile. You don't seriously think we should walk that. Or the cars that would come into the car park on a Sunday night because there really wasn't a bus to their town at the second that they wanted to leave Belt, whereas the rest of us, dear lovers, we had to hog our bags down to Botanic and sit in the freezing cold and wait for that train. We've got ourselves into a world which is so comfortable that we are now numbed, satiated, and co-opted and can't do any imaginative work. And so uh, Walsh and Kiesmatt say we need a radical, cons- uh, no, a radically consumptive imagination fueled by cybernetically driven information 
is what we call postmodernism. Post I don't want to get into all that, but that would be one way of describing what I've just been talking about for this last time. And many postmodern authors see perpetual shopping and the consumption of commodities and commodified images as the paradigmatic and defining activities of our postmodern experience. So basically to be human, the seagull is to be a consumer, to get, to be comfortable. Now, into the middle of that, it seems sadly, feebly my job is to try and stir us to imagining the alternative. To speaking into this dessert first empire, the chance of something different. And so Walsh and Kismat say, into this we need to immerse ourselves in scriptures to indwell in its narrative, to be so permeated by its images that our imaginations are transformed according to the image of God. So where do we go from there? We'll think about it a bit more next week, to be honest. But let me talk about something that came out of the blue there a while back, and uh, part of it quite intrigued me and excited me, and then there was the downside of it, of course. Students protested. Now, you see, it was on the news how they'd broken a few windows here and how they'd... I just thought it was unbelievable that students had protested. For me, that was something I could never see happen ever again. Guys are shot in Antrim a couple of marches ago from the army base going out to get their pizza. Chaplains come back. Students come in. Father, Steve, what are we going to do about that? What are we going to do about that? You guys started it. 1969, we didn't have to tell you. What are you going to do about it? You were getting elected for Parliament. Students protested. Praise the Lord. Because the society around them has squeezed them out of any kind of interest in protesting against very much. Now, the downside is that what took them to protest? Was it that some Burmese leader had been in solitary confinement for a long number of years? No. Was it some other kind of third world problem that was going on that we needed to fight against? No. What was it? It was the number of pints of Guinness that they would be able to drink on a Thursday night. I'm being facetious there. I would back their argument, but the argument that they have is one of, this is going to affect me. So I protest. Self-interest is what the empire has squeezed our imaginations into thinking about. Me, how is it for me? Never vote for the person that will do best for you. Always vote for the person that will do best for everyone. Got yourself on, Steve. No, really. We are not here about me. 
We are here the way we've just read at the end of chapter 1 of Colossians and into chapter 2 of Colossians. Because wonderfully in this middle bit that Gary read for us earlier, we find between Paul putting together this alternative poem, this subversive poem about who is in control, to that part where he says, don't be taken by deceptive, hollow arguments or philosophies, we have in the middle Paul's alternative kingdom, which comes out of the end of the part of the subversive poem. Jesus gave himself for us. Jesus sacrifices himself for others. So Paul has been telling us in this little in-between bit about how he has been struggling and toiling and battling for himself. No, not for himself. For the good of the church in Colossae. For the good of the church in Laodicea. For the good of all the churches. I want the churches to be benefiting, to be maturing in the faith. And so what we have here in the midst of an empire that says desert first, we have an alternative imagining to what it is to be human. Jesus, the paradigm human. The Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Jesus showing us that what it is to be human is to not live for self, but to live for others. Paul, following the Jesus who is his Lord, to show to these people in his letter, look, I'm not living for myself, I'm living for others. We want you to be better off. We want to make sure that you're. This is the alternative. In a world that is about get, 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 and me, 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 Jesus comes and says, give, give, give to your neighbor, your enemies, to the ends of the earth. This flies in the face of the empire that we live in. It makes no sense whatever to that empire. But the first Adam reached beyond himself and became less than himself. And the second Adam, as Paul talks about it in Romans, made himself much less than himself so that we could become heirs and joint heirs. This is who we are. Do we want to be humans who fly beside the Stranraer ferry? Or do we want to be humans who live the full potential of what it is to be human? Well, the empire is trying to squeeze our humanity out of us to fulfill the empire's needs and desires. Jesus comes to bring our humanity back to us by a following of him in the self-sacrificial servant of others. And the clues... Last night, we were watching Hustle. Not this week's Hustle, but the week before's Hustle. We're one behind. Don't dare. Don't know you watch Hustle, but it's good fun. It sort of spooks without the bloodshed. Um, bit of humor. Um, so anyway, we're watching Hustle. It's really interesting because if you don't know what Hustle is, <laughs> these guys try to fraud everybody, uh, deceive everybody, and steal from everybody, and it seems to be some sort of redemption they're doing with all this fraud and redemption or whatever else, or fraud and stealing or whatever else. Try and forget that underlying thread for a moment. Here's what happened in the one we watched last night. This girl who's involved in the hustle team, who's involved in this deceiving and deception, 
meets an old friend, an old flame, and they have a bit of a little bit of a fling during the, the program. But what seems to be coming through in the program is that he is just your, he should be voted an elder. He's got everything right. He's not doing anything for himself. He's doing everything for everybody else. He's upright. He's valued never. Now, there's a wee tweak at the end that shows that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here's what she says near the end, because she was tempted to give up the hustle and go and marry him because she saw the goodness of his life and kind of wanted that. This is what she said. It's odd. You meet someone who sees the world in a completely different way to you. And you want what they have. It's odd. You meet someone who sees the world in a completely different way to you. And you want what they have. This is the end product of where we're going here. This is the last subversion of the empire sermon. And next week in Colossians we look at what the kingdom of the sun looks like. But what we're trying to get to in this is that we would have an imagination in our lives so fueled by the story of the gospel, so permeated by this alternative Jesus, that when we meet people, when we work with people, when we're neighbors with people, when we reach out to our enemies, that they might see something that is so alternative the way the empire is and they might say I kind of want that for myself now it clashes because if you want a selfish self-indulgent comfortable life don't go near Christianity but if you want life in all its fullness how it was meant to be lived then this alternative subversive poem in Colossians chapter 1 reveals to us the alternative. And we've got to free ourselves from the empire to begin to live it moment by moment, day by day. Let's pray. I'm going to read in our prayer, if you'll bear with me. Something I read in a quiet, reflective service at the start of the year, start of the uh, um, September church year. It's a friend of mine who gives his take on what it was to live in Babylon in similar ways to what we might see the empire as. Let's listen to this and hear what God might say to us as we read it. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I have sent you into exile in Babylon. You're going nowhere quickly. Don't let the Babylonians grind you down. Build, live, plant, love, marry, breed, grow, pray. Build houses, build them strong, take your time, dig foundations, build them to last, build extra bedrooms for the kids and for their kids. Build houses to last you 70 years and live in them. Unpack the suitcases, then throw them away. Put your pictures up. Make the place homely. And outside, mark the plots where you will bury both the elders and yourselves. You're going nowhere quickly. You must live here. I mean you to live within these walls, in the secret spaces, behind closed doors. 
Prayers can be said and secrets whispered. The songs of Zion can be sung. The language kept alive, the stories told, your children taught. Within these walls, dreams can be kept alive. The dreams that Babylon cannot control. To all exiles, plant gardens. Take your time and build raised beds. Dig ditches to water them. Plant your crop rotations. Plant trees which will take decades to give you fruit. The earth will keep on giving you. Dig the soil, push the seed in the ground, cover it and water it, fertilize the crops, wait for the sun and rain. Plant olives and vines, plant figs and pomegranates, plant lemons and oranges, almonds and apples. Bend your tastes to foreign food. Plant wheat for bread and vine for wine. This is your Eden. This is your Canaan. This is your shift. This is your time. This is your place. Here you must plant and harvest and eat and share. You're going nowhere quickly. Within these gardens, seeds can grow, seeds of resistance and renewal, seeds of change, seeds of future, seeds of hope. Until these trees, when they are grown, your children will sit down in circles and will plan the journey home. To all the exiles, don't let the empire make you hate yourselves. Fall in love with one another. Take wives and husbands. Give yourselves to one another. Dance at each other's weddings. Make families. You're going nowhere quickly. Make babies. Be proud when your bellies stretch and swell. They are full of the promise of your future. Welcome and bless your sons and daughters. Teach them the old stories in new ways. Multiply, multiply, multiply. Become more. Don't let Babylon reduce you or make you less. Grow up and on into the people you were made and meant to be. To all the exiles, make this place of cursing, cruelty, and take this place of cursing, cruelty, and enslavement. Take this place of exile, this non-home, these enemies and masters, bullies, racists, and bosses. Take them and seek their welfare. You're going nowhere quickly. Bring your best to their worst. Dig tunnels of love under the foundations of the empire. Pray hard for Babylon. Pray daily for its good. Seek its shalom. In its shalom, your own is lodged for now. Do good. Show love. Do justice. Live in peace. Create a colony of heaven which the power of empire cannot overcome. To all exiles, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for your good, not for your harm. To give you all a future and a hope. I will restore you. I will gather and bring you back. I will be found by you and hear you. You're going nowhere quickly. So build, live, plant, harvest, love, marry. Breed, grow, pray, love, hope. Seek the welfare of the city, for in it you will find your own. Amen. Let's find a vision in an old Irish hymn. Be thou my vision.